Uh, welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast. And uh, this morning, uh, we thought we would uh, have a little bit of a discussion about venture capital. It's not a subject we've talked about on the podcast previously. Um, it's a bit of an admission from our perspective because it is an important segment of the overall investment market. Um, so we thought we'd get an expert on to uh, give us a rundown on some of the options that investors have in this area. And hence, we welcome Johnny Blauston from Sprout to the podcast. So uh, hi, Johnny. Good to, good to speak to you today. Hi, Stuart. Good to, good to speak to you. And thank you very much for having me on. So venture capital, I think the best way to start is if you just give us a quick summary of Sprout itself, the company and what you guys do for investors. Yeah, sure. So Sprout is an investment platform for who we describe as the underserved investor to access top tier venture capital funds. Ultimately, we are a founding team who have backgrounds in private markets. So that's private equity and venture capital. We were frustrated at the paucity of opportunity for us to invest in those markets and those funds ourselves, um, which we can get into. So we set Sprout up to give private individuals, investors, um, access to the best funds that we could find. And venture capital itself, um, it is it really basically involves fund managers backing much earlier stage companies. Um, as an asset class, why do you think investors should get involved in this area? Yeah, so, so venture capital is quite a broad asset class in itself. Um, I guess the most typical opinion or kind of perspective is is obviously that super early stage venture where people are going in early and, and, and backing things at idea stage or pre-revenue. Um, you know, actually, I think you know, it's important for, for the listeners to understand that venture capital also spans a whole range of, of company maturity right through to pre-IPO and, and you know, growth stage or late stage venture capital where, where businesses are profitable and just growing very fast, but just not yet public. In fact, businesses are staying private for longer and therefore venture capital has probably encompassed a much wider range of, of businesses than it used to. Um, historically, over the last 20 years, venture capital and private markets in general have been the highest performing asset class, um, consistently outperforming the public markets. They've just been inaccessible. Um, when you look at the most sophisticated investors' portfolios, so Silicon Valley Bank have a survey on this, UBS have a survey on this, um, you know, large family offices are typically allocating, call it around 15%. It varies a little bit, but around 15% of their portfolios to venture capital and often double that to private markets overall. But when you go to speak to private investors, some people have made their money elsewhere, people who are professionals, um, they might be business owners, whoever. Typically, I mean, it's often zero. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One is that people you know, it's a new asset class for a lot of people. It hasn't been available. People don't often know where to start. So even if I said, you know, five years ago, I want to invest in a venture capital fund, that's great. But how do I pick them? How do I know which ones are the best? How do I then vet them and diligence them? And then even if I do that, um, how do I get in? So A, you may need to know the people who run the fund and B, a lot of these funds typically would have minimum investment hurdles of over a million pounds, sometimes even five million and greater. Um, all of those things are obviously what Sprout exists to solve. So we're enabling investment at much lower minimums and we're doing all the education around that to help people understand 
venture capital, understand how to assess funds and then curate a selection of funds for people to browse from. I guess the what have people been doing, you know, this isn't new. Um, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will have wanted to access the upside of private market investing. Everyone has that dream of if I back X business super early and ride it through to IPO, you can make a lot of money. And obviously that's been borne out in the last few years. We've seen a proliferation of venture backed and early stage success stories, both in the UK and internationally. Um, in fact, that's also where I went personally when I was started trying to do my own private investing. Um, but actually, you know, and I'm sure everyone's very familiar with this, the success rates and the, the probability of succeeding when you're doing direct investing and looking to identify um, startups yourself. It, it's it's very hard and it's, you know, the vast majority of startups fail. Um, and investing in a fund, what you're hoping for um, and what you hopefully get with the best funds historically is A, they see the better, the best deals. So it's quality of deal flow and opportunity they see. And B, they're building a portfolio. Um, and, and most funds will invest in at least 20 to 30 businesses and they will build the probability of some of those failing into their maths when they're building a fund. Whereas if you compare that with a private investor or a lot of angels you speak to, they might see 10 to 15 opportunities a year and they might invest in two to three. Whereas the best funds are looking at thousands a year and investing in 10, 20, 30. And even just doing that, you're moving the maths in your favor or should be moving the maths in your favor quite a lot. And obviously venture capital, it's one of these asset classes where people can potentially have, have their money tied up for quite a long time. I mean, if you go in a traditional venture capital fund, you could be looking at five to 10 years with the money committed, which if you're a, a pension fund is great. If you're a, if you're a, a private investor, maybe not so great. What do you think, why do you think the fund route is still a good idea versus say just buying shares in a listed venture capital fund or a, or a, you know, a, a specialist fund manager who's already got their, their company listed on the market? It all comes back to portfolio construction and diversification. There's a role for all of these asset classes in a portfolio. Um, and venture capital absolutely should not be 100% of what someone's doing. There's the, the risk element. There's the variance element. Um, and the real question, you're completely right. So the way to think about the timeline of a fund is it takes them typically two to three years, most funds on average, to deploy a fund. And then you're looking at a harvest period where the earlier stage they invest, the longer the fund is, the closer to IPO they invest, the shorter the life cycle of the fund is. So you're looking at seven to 12 years, depending on the stage a fund invests. Some might be seven and eight years, some might be 10 to 12. Now, now clearly that's not appropriate for all of everyone's money. Um, and then each individual investor should make a, their own decision or seek advice um, on how much they are prepared to tie up for a seven to 10 year period. Now, historically, that has paid off for people who have chosen to do it because venture capital is an asset class on average. You're looking at, call it around 13% a year annualized returns. The best performing, so the top quartile of venture funds um, and the funds we're looking to partner with, they have historically performed, you're looking at you know 20s or even 30% plus a year. Um, which when you look at it versus the stock market, real estate, bonds, most other asset classes, if you have picked the right funds historically, you have materially outperformed those other asset classes. Now, 
Therefore, it is a, for most people, for most sophisticated investors, and when you look at people who have had advice on their portfolio, from those who are able to advise on venture capital, and we'll come back to that concept of the underserved investor, because I think a lot of wealth managers and IFAs have avoided this area because they don't understand it, they can't access the right funds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there is, you know, a, a portion of someone's portfolio that that may be appropriate to allocate towards a less liquid asset class in exchange for the hope of those higher returns. Understood, understood. And and going back to something you just mentioned, who should be looking at venture capital and who should not? Because I know traditionally, even if you look at private investors, it tends to be the more sophisticated private investor who can write like a hundred thousand pound ticket. Is that still the case, or or is this asset class becoming more democratized with and more accessible? And are companies like yourselves helping that to happen? So, so we talk about the underserved investor, and the way I look at this world is this should be about your individual circumstances, your understanding of the asset class, and how your allocation to VC fits with everything else you're doing, rather than how much money you have. Now. You're completely right in that that last part has been a big hurdle historically, because even if you understood it, say you are a financial advisor or you are an investment banker or you are whoever, you could be earning very good money, but you still probably are not able to write a million pounds into one investment in one year. And if that person you know, today wants to access top tier venture capital funds, a platform like Sprout would allow them whether they're writing £5,000 or £500,000 into a fund where the minimum historically would have been a million or five million. So that entry point's come down. Now, the other side of it, which is the sophistication, and this is an important regulatory point, is that people still need to understand what they're doing. And that's the second part of, of, of Sprout. And what we're doing is educating on venture capital, how to assess funds, but also the fundamentals of how it works, how funds invest, how liquidity works, how the J curve of investing means that actually, you know, cash goes out the door in the first few years and it takes time for that money to come back in and time for those returns to, to be realized. So why do we talk about the underserved? Because the underserved investor for us is, it, it sits across a number of different profiles. Um, you've got people who are professionals, they might own a business, they might be making good money in their, in their private lives, uh, in, their, in their professional lives, and they want to invest in venture capital funds, but they haven't had the chance before. They loosely know they want to get into private markets, but they don't know how, and they don't know where to start. No one's offering them the education, the understanding and the access that, well, no one has been offering them those things, and they need to begin their venture capital journey. A lot of these people have been doing angel investing. A lot of these people have been going into tax efficient funds because they've been seeking access to the upside of private markets but you know angel investing is really hard as we've touched on and you know the vast majority and in my opinion this is not investment advice but the vast majority of people who are angel investing and doing direct probably should not be um, because either they are not trained to do so and or they are not seeing the best deals so you've kind of got a, a pretty potentially dangerous combination of suboptimal opportunity flow and suboptimal decision making. It, look, it's something I came across. I tried to do this before I started Sprout. And this was the realization for me where I professionally diligenced businesses for private equity funds. I went to try and do some direct investing myself. And 
I realized that even if I was relatively well trained at looking at individual businesses, the fact I just wasn't seeing the best companies put me on the back foot immediately. So you're looking at people who understand or, or believe they want to get into venture capital, but don't know where to start. You're looking at people who potentially have done some direct angel investing or gone into some of the more tax efficient funds that obviously provide the tax benefits, but have not necessarily, and we're doing some research on this at the moment, have not necessarily delivered close to the same returns as the best pure venture capital funds historically. And then you're also looking for people who might have a wealth manager or an IFA or a private banker um, who's probably taking you into the stock market and, and some nice shares, uh, some bonds, and maybe some some other products. But typically, there's a big gap in that market right now where none of these wealth managers, advisors, and, and private banks, and we know this because we're speaking to them, have offered venture capital funds and or are able to offer because they just don't understand the space. So so basically, you, you could also work with an existing IFA or a wealth manager or somebody like that who wants to offer their clients the opportunity to get into venture capital. They have their clients asking them about venture capital, but they don't have the in-house expertise. So they can actually pick up the phone to someone like Sprout and say, hey, can you can you help us out with this side of things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we don't advise, which is an important point. We we exist as the conduit. So what we will do is help educate and we will help provide access and we are fully transparent on how we screen. Uh, we actually published a blog last week explaining the diligence process and the filter process we, we go through. So we've looked at over 150 funds to date. We've partnered with five. So we set a really high bar for quality and we're very happy to sit down with anyone who's looking to do this and explain to them how we select funds, how we partner with different funds and, and the things that matter when we're looking at that. IFAs in particular are really interesting in the UK. Um, I think in particular because the UK historically and culturally it's quite a risk averse market and a lot of the advice has been led by tax efficiency um, and it's tax-led advice. And the way we talk about what we're doing is we prefer to say that the, you know our fund selection is more of a returns-led approach. We would absolutely partner with and look at tax-led funds, so EIS funds, VCTs. But historically, the performance of those funds just isn't close to what top-tier venture capital funds have, have, have delivered. And again, there's a role for both or all of them in different portfolios. It's A lot of it comes down to the individual investor and their requirements. We're just opening up another branch for people now. Gotcha. And, and I, I have to put you on the spot and just ask you... Um... Is there anyone who shouldn't be looking at venture capital? I'm going to say yes. Well, it's an interesting one. I'm going to say everyone should be looking. Um, but for sure, there are some people for whom it's not appropriate. I think the main the main one for me is the liquidity. You know, this really does need to be money that even if you're looking for that high return or potential high return, you can afford to put away for eight to 10 years and not think about because you right now you can't get it out. That's because you'll give it to the fund. The fund will invest that across a number of businesses. And then that that will only become liquid again once they, they exit those businesses, whether it's through a sale or through a public listing. Um, and that is the, the main trade-off. Now, the other secondary part to that is, and this is a regulatory note, is obviously the venture capital funds are, a, or are considered a high-risk asset class as a whole. Um, and therefore, again, whilst historically these best funds 
have consistently done very well and the funds we're partnering with, you know, the worst case scenario historically with them is still borderline in line or slightly just above the public markets. Um, there is always risk in this. And, um, you know, when you invest in a startup, any individual business can go to zero and you can lose all your money. By extension, there is a non-zero percent chance that any venture capital fund can fail. Um, historically, that hasn't happened with the leading ones, but it's always possible. So the kind of clear advice is that, you know, what's the potential upside is is kind of sizable and exciting for some people. Uh, people should only invest in this if A, absolutely you're prepared to tie your money up for eight to 10 years and B, um, you can afford to lose it. Right. So it is, it is, it will tend to be people who have quite a lot of spare cash and are willing to allocate a pro small proportion of that spare cash into venture capital um, with a view to seeing a return much further down the road and, and don't mind not being able to access it next year. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, the first one's interesting in that we're trying to bring that down. The reason I kind of hesitated when you said if, you know, if there's anyone it's not applicable for is because, you know, in my head, I want a world where if you've got £100, you could put £1 into venture capital. So, you know, our minimums today are £5,000 and there are reasons we're not going below that. Um, that is already substantially more accessible than it was before for these top funds. Um, but yes, absolutely. I, I agree with your point. Um, the one one thing I did want to ask you about is how can investors be sure that, that they're getting access to the best funds and they're not just getting the sort of leavings on the table that have been um, left behind by big institutions? Because I know this has happened in the past. Um, there have been situations where, uh, you know, a lot, uh, the funds that actually get their capacity taken up quickly We'll, we'll get that capacity taken up by big investors like um, private equity fund of funds, um, big multifamily offices, guys like that. And the sort of opportunities that end up trickling down to the, the smaller private investor will tend to be the stuff that nobody else wants. And, and you're not really getting the AAA quality opportunities. Is that is that still a consideration in this market? Yeah, I think I think it has to be, and we we set the quality bar very high. There's a number of things to unpick about about that question. I think you're absolutely right that the funds, the easiest funds to get into, are probably not necessarily the funds we want to be working with. Very happy to be approached by funds, but you know that's one of the reasons we've got a really strict um, and very transparent fund selection criteria. Um, the best funds are absolutely the hardest to get into. Um, so even within the work we do and the outreach we do, um, it's not just about identifying the best funds. I think this is one of the other reasons it's important that we exist, because a lot of the people in our community, a lot of the people investing via Sprout may be more sophisticated, may be wealthy, family offices even with, with quite a lot of AUM. They still can't necessarily get access to the best funds or the ones we're partnering with if they go direct. That's where... Um, our brand and also our, our experience in the market comes to play. So our CIO, Rich Abrahams, was a co-founding member of the Raise Ventures team at PwC. Uh, when we started in particular, his network in the industry and our ability to get in the door with almost any fund we speak to 
allowed us to punch way above our weight in terms of, of fund selection and also just getting getting access to these funds. Already where we are now, it's changing in that these funds are starting to come to us and the feedback we've, we're getting from really top tier names. So people like Speed Invest, who we work with, you know, other funds see we work with them and that credentializes us in a way. It also, you know, whenever we start speaking to a fund, one of the first questions they ask is who else we've worked with. And keeping that quality bar high is super important because you can always, you know, once you drop that bar, it's really hard to raise it again. So, no, look, I completely agree with your concerns. I think that we have through our network and experience in the industry and our track record to date and the reputation we've built and and continue to build, we are able to get in the room with some really impressive funds. And, you know, that diligence process is super transparent the more funds we see the actual the better visibility we have of the market to the point where we can do really clear benchmarking and articulate where these funds sit in terms of performance how they compare to the market overall as i said just to give you an example when the vc average return is 13 percent annualized and the funds we're partnering with are all in the 20s and 30s that in itself is a, is a steer but absolutely we we have to make sure that we keep that that bar high and the work we're doing, I think the other thing that's really important is the reason these investors have not been able to invest in these funds before is largely an admin thing. The funds don't not care about smaller investors or individuals. They just don't want to have lots of small tickets. It's too much time and effort. If you're, you know, if you're raising a hundred million pound fund, if you can get that from five people doing 20 million each, done, closed, go invest it. So they're really buying into what we're doing because it allows them to do something very important for the industry without any extra legwork. And that's open doors for us because the funds really want to support this. And the other thing I wanted to ask you was about whether or not venture capital is a cyclical investment, because we do see this with its bigger brother, private equity. And and uh, the wealth management sector talks about how private equity goes in circles. And if you've been in the financial markets for long enough, you'll have actually seen this in action where uh, you, you go through phases where private equity funds are, you know, raise huge amounts of money and then they're sitting on, on what they call dry powder, usually billions of dollars of it. And then they're out there shopping in the market and then, and then they're all waiting for their bets to come to fruition. And there is a little bit, you, you do feel there are, some macro trends that occur within private equity. It's a great place to to invest during um, periods of uh, economic downturns because private equity funds obviously can can buy into companies that might be struggling at um, you know excellent valuations. Does venture capital have a have a cyclical model as well, or or is that more of an evergreen opportunity for investors? Yeah, so I think back to the, one of the points I made earlier or touched on briefly is that venture capital is is not a homogenous asset class. So I think absolutely when there's a macroeconomic climate like we have right now, um, different parts of the economy may be impacted more than others. So I'll give you an example. One might be that consumer businesses are typically more cyclical and therefore a fund investing in the consumer space might be slightly more exposed to the macroeconomic environment than I don't know, a, a, a deep tech fund or, or whatever. That's part one. Part two is the stage that people invest at has a direct impact on when they're expecting to realize returns. So in private equity, you know, typically you'll have a three to five year cycle regardless. And therefore, you know, if you have two bad years coming up, 
A, the business is already running, so there's a business that might slow down a bit, and B, that's going to hit your exit timelines. It's a little bit different in venture capital. So if you're investing later stage, called Series C onwards, then typically your exit route is going to be a private sale or an IPO. Now, the IPO market has all but dried up. So if you had invested two to three years ago in a Series C business, yes, you might be seeing a bit of a delay there. And the macroeconomic climate will be will likely be impacting your ability to exit. And we're seeing this with quite large companies at the moment, the likes of Revolut, um, even Klarna, who got to huge valuations. Some people were expecting an IPO and nothing's really happened. And, you know, but the good news is that's, you know, that's not people investing today. That's people who invested a few years ago. The the kind of natural opposite to that is if you're investing in early stage businesses today, to an extent, you take the macroeconomic climate out of it. So if I'm investing in a startup that is a couple of years away from revenue, or it's a tech business that just takes time to build, or a really small early stage business that is is just in its infancy, and therefore the market size and what's happening at the kind of top of the market doesn't really matter as much, and you're looking for an exit in five to eight years, then the macroeconomic climate matters less. So I think when you look at venture capital as a whole, it's difficult to unpick. When you get into the nuance of different funds, stage of investment, etc., then there are certainly areas that you know you, you might want to focus more. So as an example, we are probably not we haven't yet, and we probably aren't going to work with a consumer-focused fund in the next few months, which is a shame because I love consumer. Everyone loves consumer. It's super tangible. It's also, you know, it's an area where if you go on Cedars or Crowdcube and the crowdfunding sites, a lot of the businesses on there are, are B2C, consumer-focused, um, because it's what investors understand. It's tangible. But for me and for us, given what's going on in the world, it's probably not the right time for us to be working with a consumer fund, even though I'm really, really keen to, and you can ask anyone in our team that. So so right now, for example, if you're looking at earlier stage things, if you're looking at emerging or niche sectors like climate tech or deep tech or health tech, and if you're looking at more interesting strategies potentially, so for example, there's a fund I won't name um, that does do Series C onwards deals, but they buy in secondary stakes at a discount. So they will buy... For example, if someone's invested super early and is sitting on shares and is waiting for an exit, they might buy that person out at a discount. So there are ways, even in um, what you might call a bull, sorry, a bear market, there are ways to identify certain strategies in venture that are not necessarily as cyclical or not necessarily cyclical at all. Um, in fact, the data generally shows that venture capital as a whole is not correlated with the public markets. But obviously, the one thing I would say is the closer you get to an IPO, A, clearly that has an impact on exiting businesses and B, people will point to public market valuations when they're looking at valuations of companies. And the, well, the final thing I wanted to ask you about is, is again, the, the comparison with private equity is would you regard venture capital as a subset of private equity? And then secondly, should investors be looking at it as a slightly higher risk subset? Than, than private equity so it's almost as if you kind of you've got your private equity investments and then as part of that you then got your slightly higher risk venture capital investment which could actually get you higher returns 
but you are taking a higher risk as well because by definition the businesses that you're backing are at a much earlier stage than say a PE fund would be going after. So I think it is absolutely a subset of private equity. There are obviously important differences within that. So typically venture capital will be minority stake, private equity will be majority. Um, one important and interesting difference obviously right now is that a lot of private equity, the leverage buyout model is debt funded, therefore much more susceptible to interest rate changes, whereas venture capital is typically all equity investment. And yes, it's naturally earlier stage, you're investing pre-revenue or kind of just post-product market fit or at growth stage, whereas private equity business is typically a slightly different stage in their life cycle. The risk question is an interesting one. I don't like the phrase high risk. I prefer higher variance. Private equity, typically, you know what you're getting. That's because they're investing, as you said, they're investing in businesses that are more mature. You've seen, you know, you've got three to five years of growth, cash flow, EBITDA, that you can look at and you kind of know exactly what the kind of resting heart rate of the business is. And therefore you can model out your returns in three to five years and you do some financial financial engineering, throw some debt in and you know, within a range of outcomes as an industry, the good PE firms do well consistently, rarely do too badly and rarely shoot the lights out. Right. Um, conversely, venture capital, as you said, slightly wider range of outcomes. But I think that's also where you have to think about it, both on the individual business lens and then on the portfolio lens. So every individual business in a venture capital firm's portfolio could go to zero, but also has to have the potential to return the entire fund. So typically, you're looking at a range of outcomes that is something like zero to 10x on every deal. And some, I mean, some could be, I've seen some that were 1,000x, but you know, once you follow on and invest in again and again, then the blended return comes down because the later you invest in it, the less money you make. So, you know, a, a super early stage venture capital fund, the range of outcomes are, you know, anywhere between, you know, call it 1x, you get your money back and 5 to 10x your money. Um, and you can look at what they've done historically. And that is based on the data, the best predictor of which funds are going to be good, but you never know for sure. And Generally, they get a good idea after a few years, but obviously there is that that range of outcomes and there is just higher variance. And that's um, that's the strategic decision you're making. And I agree with you. It's all this all comes back to asset allocation and portfolio construction. And I think that, you know, as I said, we don't advise. So I think this is for individuals to make their mind up on based on their appetite and what they're looking to to dip their toes into um, and or discuss with their advisors if they you know have an IFA or a wealth manager they want to discuss this with there is a role for all of these assets in, in a portfolio in a well-constructed portfolio and it all comes down to um you know individuals essentially risk reward appetite fantastic well thank you very much indeed uh, for coming on the show today and uh, just to conclude where can um investors and wealth managers go um to find out more about sprout and what you guys are up to excellent so so our website is via sprout.com as in invest via sprout I'm sure you will, I don't know if there are show notes or something linked to that in those. Um, if anyone wants to email me directly, it's just Johnny at Fire Sprout, or you can find me on LinkedIn and, and send me a message there. Um, we will be having events and other things coming up as well and putting out lots more content. So this is very much a you know, welcome to the venture capital journey. If you've never done this before, stay with us. We will be doing loads more content, events, education so that people can just learn and absorb. Um, I appreciate it can be scary for people 
who have never done it before and therefore there's not a lot out there and we're, we're here to change that fantastic thank you very much indeed for your time today johnny thank you stuart You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.